This is podcast number 305, entitled Wear a Mask, Los Straightjackets. It's their version, because as you know, the remarkable American guitar quartet slash quintet Los Straightjackets always wear Mexican wrestling masks. Now, I wanted to use their music, the first track on the cast of which is called Yeah, 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 from their album Jet Set, because there is a secret in the majority of Le Straight Jacket's recording that is extremely apt to our life, and particularly our life right now. I specifically refer to the uh, divisions both in our world and country, and more specifically in the coronavirus epidemic and what's going on in all of our lives, a kind of total meltdown of almost everything we've ever done or achieved or thought we did or wanted to do, let alone uh, pursue. And there is a secret in the uh, songs of Los Straightjackets that has come sort of resoundingly into my head and heart recently, and I want to share it because I think it's hopeful and encouraging and apt. And then I want to share a few other little little thoughts about where we are, you might say, uh, coronavirus-wise, and then... Um, and then finish with a song entitled, it's a cover of uh, Nick Lowe's song, I Live on a Battlefield, and it's Los Straightjackets cover, which is a perfect demonstration of their musical and artistic tactic. Now, what they do, they do, they have a, uh, take a song that they've either written or covered, and they take the song and they break it down in their particular rockabilly, kind of twangy, brilliant Nashville slash surfer sound um, approach, which I think is extremely exciting and fun and delightful and non-agenda driven, and no narrative, just a beautiful way of breaking down song after song after song after song, many of which are originals. And, but what they do is this, they don't really go wild until the last third of the song. In other words, uh, the first two-thirds are usually a couple, maybe even three choruses with some um, guitar work between, melodic guitar work, you might call them the verses, but they never really let, almost never let themselves go, and they do let themselves go during the last third and sometimes even the last quarter of the song. You all see this time and time again. That's why there's songs you might almost say are seemingly a little, little, almost boring until they just go wild. I was sitting, standing in my uh, study at the uh, Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, and I invited Paul Walker and John Harper in to hear Le Straightjacket's version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which was just simply a twangy guitar um, cover of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I kept having to say, wait a minute, guys, wait, wait, wait. The old wait, you know, wait with your video, wait with your Instagram video. Well, because the last sort of 25 seconds, they go crazy in the most incredible, rocking, massively, uh, enticing um, and um, foot-tapping, more than that, body-animating um, sound in the last 25 seconds. And I remember Paul Walker said, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was coming. Well, you may have heard in Yeah, 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 it goes really wild at the end. And all you heard was an excerpt. You didn't hear the first minute and a half, because I always do excerpts, the first minute and a half, minute and actually 10 seconds, which was um, just uh, a chorus and a refrain. 
uh, and um, averse. And uh, then, as you could see, they went wild. And you'll notice the same in the familiar, really good Nick Lowe song, Love is a Battlefield, until the very end. Now, that touches something that actually John Zoll said in a sermon at St. Matthew's Bedford a few weeks ago, but all of us were so impressed by it, and I wanted to draw upon John's insight. He said, what we find in life is that what we thought was the end is often the middle. Let me repeat that. John said, what we thought was the end of a certain experience, or even in fact our life's journey, is in fact characteristically, the middle. And that struck me as being really very apt to my own life and very profound. So many of us feel, and I've written about this in this new um, handbook of hope for boomers, that the, um, we, 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 are, we are possessed with a, uh, what appears to be a tragic uh, avalanche of disillusionments and uh, sort of uh, hopes and dreams and ideas sort of contaminated by reality, which have kind of fallen apart. And here we are in the middle of a house of cards of all the things we wanted or many of the things we had hoped for. And it's all sort of lying down, quote, uh, living um, James Taylor in pieces on the ground. Oh, I've seen fire, I've seen rain, and there we are, and we think that's the end. And the power of the Christian uh, experience of God, and really the power of God, is that he characteristically picks us up when we're in pieces on the ground and we have nowhere else to turn and we look north and look vertical and we find that we are picked up. And it turns out in the last third of life that what we thought was the end was in fact the middle, and the prelude to something really powerful. I've, I've actually experienced this in my own personal life, um, mainly through the initial ministry of Paula White, because it's her message as well. When you thought that the roof had fallen in and you were absolutely gone, not only did God come and bring a new vision and a new hope and a new position and a new possibility, but you find out later that he was using the very collapse to bring about a new you. And that's that's really the case, and you see it in Los Straightjacket's songs. They are constantly coming to what appears to be the end of a somewhat conservative and relatively predictable musical line, and then they allow their own spirited, inspired um, guitar work, often uh, with Danny Amos, Eddie Angel, and now Greg Townsend, to take over, and you're just spinning in joy and exuberance uh, when you come to the end of the song. And I want to actually ask you to look at your life conceivably that way. And more now than ever, because we're going through something that actually, even for someone who's almost 70 as myself, and I'm not pulling rank, I wish I weren't, I'm, I'm only telling you something that I wish weren't true, um, stay where you are, but uh, you begin to see, I, I've never, uh, Mary and I have never been through something as uh, really emphatically costly as uh, this to so many things that we had hoped, and I want to talk about that in just a minute, but do you understand the point? Low straight jackets have a kind of secret, and they're secret, and I can't explain it. I do know that they see their work as fun rather than any kind of agenda. They absolutely, uh, Eddie Angel has been interviewed on this, they absolutely reject any kind of, quote, narrative or statement. They really want to have fun, but there is a kind of inspired, um, extemporary 
um, joy, joie de vivre, that comes out in the last third. And I really recommend these songs to you. Listen, by the way, to their song Aerostar, which is uh, on their album Jet Set, but any number of other songs. And you'll find it's a constant kind of, it's not a narrative, but it's a constant kind of approach to their gift that allows for a turn north, a turn to joy, optimism, and exuberance. Uh, and the last third or fourth. And that's true of you and me. We can see this terrible thing as being ultimately some positioning, to use Paula's kind of way of putting it, into a pivot, to use a more journalistic way of putting it, into a chapter that may have, in fact, enormous credibility and significance. And certainly for our own selves, ultimately, hope and joy. I performed a wedding on a boat recently in the Chesapeake Bay, a true COVID wedding with all sorts of stipulations from the county and the state, which I fully accepted. We all did. Uh, but it was somehow a moment of transcendent power and visitation. I can't quite put within the massively constraining um, stipulations that we observed to the letter, yet there was a uh, transcendent um, visitation, that's all I can say, of divine love and hope in the midst that was striking. I see it often in the some of the parishes that I note. I certainly, I see it in, in St. Matthew's Bedford, the kind of, um, what's the word I want to say, acceptance and acquiescence coupled with inspiration and hope that has happened there has made it kind of even better than it was before. I see it at a City of Destiny, Paulus Church, where despite all the stipulations that we have observed, although she has been very good about the always putting the hope of a return to in-person Christian worship, for God's sake, there, nonetheless, with all the stipulations and all the guardianship and all the observed protocols, um, I found a kind of unity in the congregation there and a unity of prayer and a passion and a profound um, reliance on uh, the supernatural God of the Bible, which is increased in love, power, unity, and service in a way that I had not... I, I saw things sort of going downhill in certain ways for certain reasons, and now the place is on fire. So, um, you know, what looked like the ending... It was really um, the middle, and the same can be true of you. Now, I do want to say a couple things. I feel that um, <clears throat> certainly Christian parish priests, Christian rectors, Episcopal rectors, Anglican ministers, <clears throat> need to adopt a hopeful and optimistic, faithful position about a return ASAP. Now, we can't all do it, and there have been many, many stipulations, and there are many, many barriers, and there are many things we have to deal with, but it's one thing accepting certain givens, but constantly, constantly opting for the possibility, constantly going for the first available opportunity to move things forward, then kind of sitting there and accepting an overly negative view. And I do see in some parishes, some that I know very well, an almost alarming lack of kind of um, optimism. I'm not talking about um, going against anything that is legal and right, but I am talking about an overcautiousness or fear that is sort of overdoing. It's like the Church of England. I mean, the, it has to be said that the Church of England failed. I, I want to say that very clearly. The senior leadership of the Church of England failed that country because they they took the stipulations of the uh, uh, Tory government and they um, went about 20 steps further. They they carried the stip because they were so concerned not to be seen as in any way enabling anything against the national health that they took the government's um, protocols and carried them 20% further than they needed to and completely shut down the 
the possibility of a witness at the time when England most needed it. And it was there over, uh, for some reason, I guess we might use the word virtue signaling, I still haven't figured it out, but um, with a very few exceptions, they overdid it where they didn't have to. The government was not telling them to go as far as they did. And I feel in some cases in our own you know, um, in my own um, sort of denominational background, there's been an over uh, uh, caution as opposed to a faithful and optimistic caution. And I really think that's important. Secondly, I think that the I see it everywhere that the danger of the um, uh, coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic to the average person under the age of sort of 60 has been exaggerated and has been, um, it's, it's uh, way exaggerated such that instead of uh, doing what we absolutely have to do to protect our older citizens and of course be very careful and do all the normal protocols, I feel that a kind of kind of um, panic related to something that's not really anywhere near as fatal in the case of most people, and especially the young, has kind of taken over. And I don't understand it. I know that people say it's politicized, but I find it um, really not faithful. It's not a faithful position. It's a fearful position. Um, and I mean, again, I, you, I, you're listening to somebody who's just been tested twice uh, in succession for the uh, coronavirus and has been tested uh, negative in each case and have all the paperwork and have fulfilled all righteousness and yet um, see a kind of uh, a kind of a panic that seems to be really even compromising the emotional, let alone the rational life of our little children. And it concerns me very, very much. I think something is in the air tonight, to quote Phil Collins, that is an overreaction. And I see it. I see it in, in the church um, in several cases, although not in all, not in all. Um, so I wanted just to throw that in. I hope you don't mind. But again, uh, as someone who's really had to work hard at this, just like you have, just like you have, and I'm of an age and I have a couple of major pre-existing conditions that make me, your speaker, particularly um, susceptible and to a, a fatal outcome. So I'm very careful I, and I intend to be very careful, but I am opting here for a hope and optimism and faith uh, as the key Christian virtues and to some extent a little bit the prophetic. I think a couple people need to sort of stand up and say, wait a minute, they didn't do it in the Church of England. I think there was an archdeacon down near Brighton and there may have been someone in the Northeast, but I don't think so. I think it was about six people and a few secular writers, maybe in the Daily Telegraph, and certainly uh, our friend uh, uh, P Peter H Hitchens, uh, who have spoken out, you know, to say the emperor is, has no clothes in relation to certain aspects of the lockdown, which seemed uh, non-faithful and overly prescriptive, given what the government had legitimately decided. Anyway, there have been a very few voices to really speak up, and I encourage you to consider your voice um, in the context of, of, of course, a, a realistic but hopeful position, like, like low straitjackets who continue to do this. I just, again, I commend you in your own life to look at this. I mean, here, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted. My wife is exhausted. We've been tested to death. We've, and we don't have little children who are the, the parents of whom are the most uh, under um, uh, the stress by far the most. We don't have little children at this point in our lives. And we, um, all we have is ourselves and we have our um, quarantines and we have our uh, interests and our love and our um, experience. But um, it's, uh, and, and I see the church being destroyed. Let me repeat, uh, 
que je répète. Let, let me, uh, I'm going to say that again. Um, if this goes on too much longer, an extreme shutdown among the mainstream Christian churches, which is not so characteristic among the more sort of earnest uh, uh, Christian churches, the, um, this will be a kind of complete uh, destruction of things that we have spent on decades and decades seeking to rebuild and restore and renew. It's like Lazarus being raised from the dead and then putting him back in the tomb, you know. So many churches that I've been part of there, where there was, um, we, we, we attempted with all our lives and energies and all we had to bring it back and by the grace of God we saw a return to something renewed and hopeful and positive and healing and gospel-riven and uh, uh, psychologically healthy and renewing and transforming we see many of these old institutions being almost destroyed if this goes on for too much longer. So um, we need to speak on that. But it's also the case that we don't have to accept this as the end. And I speak that for myself. There's a new hope. There's a new life. Um, isn't there a song in the Superman? I think there's a song that Nicole Kidman is um, sort of is meant to be singing. Um, Lois Lane and the Christopher Reeve Superman, I think there's a song as she flies around Manhattan with Christopher Reeve, a Superman, something to the effect that, uh, that, that I, I know that there's an Aladdin song, isn't there, A New World? Um, there's a new world, and this new world is reflected in the Christian hope that there's something probably ultimately for those who can sort of envision it and impute it, there's something hopeful out there. That's Tullian, what Tullian is doing under incredible constraints in uh, Jupiter is uh, uh, there's a new world. Uh, what I see in a number of places, uh, not in all, but in a number of places. There's a new world. There's a new world on the conference calls at City of Destiny when the team gathers to speak. There's a new world at All Saints Winter Park where um, Stu is doing an extraordinarily hopeful, dynamic, life-affirming, gospel-affirming, Jesus Christ-affirming, God-affirming witness in the middle of, as everywhere else, great, great difficulties. And uh, so I present, um, ladies and gentlemen, the power of what Los Straitjackets is pointing us towards. So we conclude with um, the Los Straitjackets cover of I Live on a Battlefield. Thank you very much. 